Hello, and welcome to Right Wing Dharma Squads, episode 39, discussing impermanence and death. I am your host, Dharma Kirti, joined as always by the squad, uh, today comprised of Aura Taxonomist and Yamnia Mindset, if you guys want to say hi. Hello. Hey, everyone. And I have a lot of thoughts on this, um, but since. I know Aura has wanted to talk about this topic for a while. Before getting to those thoughts, I thought I would throw it to you, Aura. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, first of all, I think we should give a shout out to our buddy Rhinestone Maharaja uh, because he he did, had a really good uh, suggestion in our group chat uh, doing a well. Actually, whose idea was it to do a show called "We're All Gonna Die"? That was RM, right? I think it was RM. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we we all thought that was a great idea. Um, and uh, this was a uh, suggestion just went up like a couple of weeks ago when the coronavirus um, was really starting to hit the mainstream. Um, and, uh, you know, the fears are really starting to ramp up about that. And um, uh, both YM and DK said, yeah, that's a really good idea. So anyway, shout out to Rhinestone and Maharaja for, for coming up with it. But yeah, we're all going to die, right? Um, we did a, you know, we were talking just before this stream started. And so we had a false start there for a moment. And um, you know, DK talked about how it, it, it's kind of this meme that's out there that, oh, if it bleeds, it leads in the media, that um, that the media loves to show you, you know, death and destruction and everything. But I, you, you didn't really get to finish your point, DK, and I, I think I want to hear your take on this later. Or, um, but, you know, it's funny. Yes, they want to sell you anything that's going to give you get eyeballs on their screen. And so anxiety and dramatic uh things are obviously gonna end up on the tv news and on the front page of the newspaper websites and everything like that but oddly they don't actually really show you death um and i've actually noticed this you know i i don't i haven't turned on a tv um i don't know in a couple of months i suppose i think the last time i turned it on was for the super bowl and um it, so I don't know if this is true or not, but I get the impression that they're talking about how scary coronavirus is and everything like that. But, you know, they're not showing you like the pink foam coming out of people's mouths because their their lungs have liquefied and their phlegm is like instead of being green or yellow or white, it's pink because there's blood in it. I mean, they're not showing you that. You can see it on Twitter and stuff, but they, they actually don't want you. They don't want you to really confront that because, A, you're probably going to turn your TV off, right? Because that's. It's really hard to look at and and b i think also just from a sort of conspiratorial point of view or just a realistic point of view they, they want people to stay complacent and thinking about death to sort of bring a buddhist perspective into it is the whole point of thinking about death and buddhist teachings is um to do away with complacency right to urge you on to action to urge you on to practice with the dharma and everything and i i it's a bit of a truism and and uh uh, what's the word? Uh, a platitude to to remark that in our culture, you know, we hide death away, and, and we don't confront death. Um, and but it is true. It it is true that that is the case, and we don't see it very often, and we don't think about it. But it's a fundamental feature of the universe. It's a fundamental feature of being alive. That that as you were saying earlier, DK, um, in our private chat, is that we're. Um, we are impermanent. That's the very nature of all things. And and as a being, your your being is is impermanent, and it is going to end, at least in the state that you know it now. Um, and so that's built in to to being alive. You know, there there is no life without death. Um, we 
we have no examples of of an, a, something being alive and and literally never dying. So um, th these are sort of scattered thoughts and all over the place. But that's sort of setting the table. I actually have a lot more <laughs> to say on each one of those topics. Uh, but I just sort of setting the table for for the discussion on this. Um, I don't know if you had something you wanted to say. Why am? No, it's. Uh, I mean, you pretty much covered the kind of the introductory as well. It's, so I didn't really have anything to add to that. Um, I did. Say, there is a comparison I once heard that Buddhism is almost like, in in a way, is almost like a prep. Is it has a very clear like kind of degree of preparation one is making for this kind of inevitable fate of death because we are all impermanent and that it's almost did I lose connection hello I lost you personally for a little bit there, but I don't know if others did. TK, you there? Oh, can you hear me? Sorry. Yeah, I was saying. Yeah, uh, I think I just lost there. connection with you all for a bit. No, it's, yeah. um, yes. I... No, but it is interesting because I think the media does try to sell us not really so much death as it is like the sense of suspense that comes around it. They're, they're avoiding. It's almost like in a dream where you never actually die, but you have this constant, like, suspenseful fear of death, but it never actually comes. And that's kind of what the yes. media is selling you in the same way. It's selling you that same kind of nightmarish dream. Yeah. They're, they're selling you anxiety. They, yeah, they want you anxious. They want you um, to have anxiety, but they don't want you to really confront anything. And that, to me, that's the exact opposite of, like, what a sane practice is, which is facing to de death head on. Um, but also with a sense of calmness, right? Also with a yes. sense of uh, assuredness in, in what you're doing. And uh, instead of, you know, instead of avoiding death, but always having this nagging anxiety that makes you stay tuned through the commercials to get the next little morsel of, of anxiety, you know, it's, it's, it's awful. It's terrible. Right. It's, it's yeah, being well, aware of this. Kind of like the... Yeah, I'm here. Well, well what yeah. I was getting, um, I think that's a really good insight, YM, and it definitely dovetails with what I was like. My point with with the if it bleeds, it leads example um, that we were discussing that you mentioned is that the media, yes, like the 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 emphasis is on what's sensational, and you know, mass casualty events like nine eleven or whatever. These are sensational things and we can analyze them in kind of let's say Baudrillardian terms or whatever as like um, to some extent just I mean you know part of the part of the impact of something like a 9-11 was precisely that it you know people said even at the time oh this feels like something in a Hollywood movie we're, we're conditioned to expect certain kinds of spectacles so that when the spectacles happen it's like packaged already for for media consumption, for TV, and so on, and to the to the point, to the extent that if it if it isn't prepackaged in that kind of way, if it falls outside the bounds of what we experience, what we're expecting, um, then we don't really know what to do with it. And I I I think what I'm getting, what I was trying to get at, what I am trying to get at, one of the points that I want to make here and now is that the 
our culture really doesn't want to have anything to do with death. It really doesn't want to acknowledge the reality of death. And so even when there are these kinds of things in, you know, in the media that are happening, like such as with the, with the COVID, um, the, you know, Chinese coronavirus, the, the way that they cover it, it it's not like it, 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 it's, yeah, it's pulling your hair out on fire, but not actually like there's this subtext, I think, to everything of um, really wanting to avoid the reality of death and 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 there's there's a lot of aspects to this that that i think are important um you know because there's a kind of a nuanced take that you want to have or at least that i want to have where you know i think it was uh, governor andrew kumo said today like you know oh we can't just fall back on the fact that we're all going to die at some point like the point is to not die today okay i mean that's you know that's true to an extent and it's an important point to some extent but I, I think it can also actually be an unhelpful reality because the, th the thing is, COVID or no COVID, we can all die today. I, you know, I could die today. You could die today. <laughs> like, and this is furthermore something that used to be a part of this culture, you know, a part of Western European civilization. You know, memento mori was real. Yes, it became more of a thing during the Black Plague when people were dropping left and right. But even before then, and, and even after then, it was, it was you know, understood that death is a part of life and, and that be, it's part of the condition of our existence in this realm that, you know, to be born as a human being means to die as a human being. That's just part of the, part of the thing. And, and um, you know, even the Buddha, who in a sense, you know, transcended the status of being a mere human being, he had he demonstrated impermanence by passing into parinirvana you know the sort of classic buddhist thing is well the buddha didn't exactly die his his the continuity of his aggregates ended but that's you know again his his like physical form couldn't continue past a certain point and that's just how it is that's just how the nature of reality is is that everything that is conditioned is impermanent everything that comes into existence because of the, you know, causes the things that cause it when those causes, when those things that cause it are no longer there, which is inevitable for, for anything that has caught that is arises as the effect of some cause. Um, when those causes, when that cause is gone, when those causes and conditions are gone, then the effect is going to be gone. That's, that's like the, the central, one of the central Buddhist insights. Um, it's one of the main things that the Buddha taught over and over and over again. That's, you know, any kind of Buddhism, any kind of Buddhist philosophy, any kind of tr Buddhist tradition, you know, across the board, South Asia, Southeast Asia, Tibet, China, Japan, like this is absolutely foundational for absolutely every Buddhist and every Buddhist tradition. So there's a passage, uh, please. Yeah, there's a passage in the Pali Canon, um, the Maranasati Sutta. It's a very short one, and it's just um, the the Buddha says mindfulness of death when developed and pursued is of great fruit and great benefit. It gains a footing in the deathless, has the deathless as its final end. Therefore, you should develop mindfulness of death. And then the, a monk comes forward and says, you know, uh, oh, Lord Buddha, I, I practice mindfulness of death. And the Buddha says, oh, yeah, how do you do that? And the monk says, well, every day I remind myself that this, uh, that I could die this day. 
uh, and then, and he says that's good, but not good enough. And then another monk says, you know, every every the period of time it takes to eat a meal, so I you know an hour say maybe. Um, that's that's how often I think of death. And the next one says, um, I I think about it in the amount of time that it takes to eat four morsels of food or something like that. And the last monk says, um, I think about it. I think about death. When I breathe in, and again when I breathe out, every single breath of every day. And the Buddha says, "This, this monk is the heedful monk. This is the monk who will truly benefit from the practice of mindfulness of death." And you can take that a little bit, obviously, as an exaggeration, and you know, to prove a point about how important this is to the Buddha that we be aware of the impending fact of death, the reality of death. But you can also look at it as an actual, an actual practice. You know, that sort of. I don't know if I want to use the term metaphorically, but the idea that every breath, every moment is important to practice because not just because you're like, oh God, I'm going to die. Oh God, I'm going to die. Oh God. But just that every single moment is super precious because they are limited and they are going to go away. And so there's no such thing as a moment when it's not imp- important to be mindful of, of your practice. I, I would go so far as to say, you know, and thank you for that. That's a beautiful sutra and a beautiful quotation. I, I do remember that. You know, I read it a long a long time ago, I guess. But, um, yeah, uh, I would go so far as to say, you know, whether you're a Buddhist or not, um, whatever you're – I mean, you, if you're a Christian, you should definitely be doing this already. If you're not, you should start. But whether, you know, Buddhist, Christian, atheist, whatever uh, – you should think about death every day. You should think like every day at some point during the day, it is just a good practice to reflect on the fact that you and everyone you love one day will be dead. That's just a fact. And it's something that we need to understand if we're going to have any hope of um, being effective in our with our time that we have before that happens. Uh, the the plague, you know, the, the, the pandemic is a huge opportunity um, in many, many ways. And um, I, I think that when something really big comes along, and this is really, really big, you know, we haven't really ever seen anything like this in our lifetimes. Um, and we, it's something, you know, I guess you could sort, I, oh, I saw it coming back in December or whatever. Yeah. Or, you know, you had a vague idea that a global pandemic was a was a serious risk because of the globalized nature of the world. But uh, well, I'll just speak for myself. You know, six months ago, I did not think that we I would be you know quarantined in, in my house because of uh, a global pandemic. And yet here we are, right? So, but this is a huge opportunity to to reassess what you take seriously and and what what's important to you and. Um, it's hard because you know people can you know people like oh you know take a mo- take a moment to phone your mother and take a moment to thank your local doctors and everything and yes you should do all those things like it is good and so these kinds of pieces of advice sort of pile up all one on one on top of another and you know i think there's a very uh, a very common uh, instinct to, to just sort of shut all that out and be like yeah yeah i know i am taking it seriously but stop lecturing me on this um but i think specifically about death because it is it is something to be very afraid of right now um you know you, you make your preparations you you might try to make sure that your family is safe you try to follow the news and see you know what's up out in the world and you don't have just have to be afraid of the virus itself but you have to be afraid of what your fellow humans are going to do as a result of panic or, or whatever right 
Um, but that's all very real. It's all going on right now. And it's it's sort of a good opportunity to remind yourself that even if you make it through this okay and the pandemic, you know, calms down at some point in the future, you know, I don't think it's going to be this month, but let's say, you know, two years from now, it's 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 more relaxed and everything. Then don't go back to the way it was before, you know, use it as a chance to as a turning point in your life to to realize, you know, that that death is it's coming for us all and you're all going to die. You're all going to die and I'm going to die. Um, yeah, it's, it's an opportunity. So uh, there, there's a, another comment that I wanted to discuss. But before I get to that, uh, we have a great comment from Finami who says this is important, but it is also important not to take the wrong lesson from it and say, screw it, YOLO. And that's that's correct. That's absolutely correct. Now, of course, from a Buddhist perspective, we wouldn't say there's no such thing as YOLO, right? I mean, you, it's just not correct that you only live once. Actually, you know, we, we're the problem is that in, in a sense, from a Buddhist perspective, that would be kind of a relief, um, you know, because then you wouldn't, you know, then you could just be a nihilist and say, well, it doesn't matter what I do in this life, because whatever I do in this life, you know, as soon as this life is over, then that's it. And, you know, that there's no there's nothing after death and I don't have to worry about anything and just whatever. Fuck it. Um, the problem, you know, TLDR is that consciousness is not the kind of thing that depends upon material conditions. Like in, in certain, for certain kinds of sentient beings and certain kinds of circumstances, like us, for example, human beings and every, all the beings in our like kind of universes, our universe and universes that are like our universe. Um, yeah, we need, you know, bodies, right? We need um, certain kind of material supports for our cognition to exist the way that it does. But, you know, a very like, this question of like, when does life begin? I mean, we can say life begins at conception and there's a certain amount of truth to that. That's, that's the best kind of answer that we can have in um, scientific terms or kind of rigorous analytic terms. But, you know, okay, well, if life begins at conception and, you know, the, the continuity of, of our awareness in a particular body begins at the moment that our bodies are formed by the meeting of, of the gametes of our mother and our father, um, well, what about like consciousness is, does, does that create consciousness? And, and it just doesn't make any sense to say, and we can argue, you know, some other time, if people are interested, we could debate that. But from, you know, I, I, I am, I just don't think it makes any kind of logical sense to say that it is that meeting of the gametes that creates consciousness or any, you know, causal, there's no physical, there's no amount of physical processes that you can point to and says like okay well that is what's creating consciousness out of nothing the continuity of cognition is beginningless and endless therefore there is no such thing as yolo and uh and you know what, what we do you know the con the continuity of our awareness will just because that's how awareness is it it does persist past the end of this particular life which means we do have to deal with the effects of our actions in this life it's inevitable um now at the same time like yeah you could say maybe from like not necessarily that kind of a nihilistic perspective that you know it, it's always a balance right there's always a balance of you know seizing the day um which is important to some extent because we don't know when we're going to die versus having an eye on what are the um like what's the good thing to do in the long run keeping in mind that you know at some point we're going to have to deal with the negative effects of our negative actions um and this kind of thing but but there was another there was another comment that i wanted to touch on and, and this really again gets at the heart of 
what I was trying to talk about with the with the um, the thanatophobia of our culture. It's sort of deeply ingrained fear of death. Karsten S says, I was having dinner with my sister today and we ate a whole stuffed chicken, but she was talking about how she didn't like seeing the carcass of the chicken and considered becoming vegetarian. I mean, think about like, I mean, first of all, I don't think that's at all an uncommon reaction. Um, when you go in the supermarket, like even when you have to deal with just like chicken bones, it's, you know, you, you, you very rarely, I mean, I guess the, the closest thing you would have to deal with is like, you know, maybe on Thanksgiving, if you buy a whole turkey or yeah, if you buy a whole chicken, but even most people buying meat at the supermarket, certainly if you're buying, you know, red meat or, or anything like that, you don't have to deal with like bones and viscera. I mean, if you're certain, you know, guts and blood and, you know, butcher, like butchers have to deal with this, but we, we just, that's in the back room. That's happening off stage. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to see that. We don't have to think about that. And, and I really see that at every level of our society. I see that in our refusal to, you know, we don't even like the word funeral anymore. We talk about celebrations of life. Um, everything about the coverage of this of this pandemic everything about the coverage of everything really is trying to say you know um trying to make death as as neutralized as possible as as just you know it's something that happens over there um i have a friend who is a doctor and when he was going through the final stages of his um medical training he was, you know, uh, he was a resident in in an I, in an ICU, and he was. He, I, we were talking about this once. He said, you know, the thing is, they always make it look on TV like both the. He, I, I think he meant more kind of you know scripted programming, but I think this is equally true of the news. You know that like, yeah, people die, but it's just kind of like, um, I don't know, bloodless in a way. I forget the exact word he used, but that it's just, you know, it's not, not that there's blood everywhere, but that, but that actually his point was that the pro the actual process of dying, you know, and disease, you know, uh, coronavirus or no coronavirus, it's humiliating. It's protracted. It's, you know, there's ups, there's downs, your, your blood oxygenation goes down. We pump it up. Your, your lungs start giving out. We do. And it's just this, it's this really degrading, really depressing, really drawn out process. Um, that nobody's really aware until you until you you know either have to go through it yourself or maybe you have a very close family member who's who's you know in and out of the ICU or, or dealing with this um you know it, it it's it's people don't understand what it's like being in a hospital having to deal with that what the, what the actual process of dying under a techn technological society really is and that really stuck with me. It stuck with me because it's just, again, just another example, as I see it, of um, the ways in which our media representations just don't line up, and 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 especially don't line up when it comes to to death, and 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 how we just don't want to think about it, despite the fact that it's really important to think about it. There's when they show death in like a movie or something. There's like two kinds of death that you see. There's like right. There's that death, um, and then there's like the quiet, like passing away, you know, where like his eyes shut, 
and you know he squeezes yeah, exactly that's what he exactly yeah exactly. There, that's it you know you've got you've got like the cartoon violence death and then you've got like the sweet like meaningful and then his spirit departed kind of death and <laughs> you know i i had to uh, i had a very dear loved one um pass away this year um somebody extremely close to me and i was there for that and i you know i can um you know, I can attest to, to, and anybody who's out there who's been there for it can attest to, to the way that it is. It's, it's, um, it's, I think degrading is a good word, um, DK, because that's a strong word. Um, and I don't think we like to think of it that way because, um, uh, but, but, but it is, you can see that people don't want to go and they're clinging on, but their body's not working right. And it's frankly, I think for the vast majority of people, it's terrifying. You know, you're terrified because you can you can feel it happening and you, you, you want to fight. And, you know, part of the person wants to just die and have it be over with, especially if it's been a protracted illness. But then, you know, there's another part, you know, like the drowning, a drowning person, you know, some anybody who wants to drown themselves has to attach weights or something to their legs um, to keep to get them far enough under the water that they won't fight back up to the surface because even somebody who's you know desperately suicidal and wants to die when they get underwater they will start fighting back up no matter how badly they wanted to die they're going to try to live at that last moment when the water's coming in their lungs and and so you know an old person or a sick person um is in that same circumstance and it's you know very often it's sort of a slow motion version of that it's it's awful i mean it, it really there's no other word for it it's it's a terrible thing to to behold and you know, again, the important reminder is like, you are headed for that. You're either going to get that or you're going to get a sudden death that you don't see coming. Like, getting I mean, there, there are you exceptions. Know? Like if you, if you practice sure. really hard, you know, yes. there are you know, yes, bodhisattvas and great Dharma yeah. practitioners who are, you know, it is possible. It's, it's, it's very difficult, but it does happen that we can, you know, there's a, there's a certain kind of heroism that we can sense our death approaching and, and, you know, for, you know, even go so far potentially as, as to be in a state of meditation as yes. it happens. No, I, I don't you, think you know. it takes a great master to do that. I don't I, I, I don't know. I haven't been there yet, but I, I practice under the assumption that the more I practice, the better I'm going to be at that when my time comes. Um, and, you know, I may not. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty not, good. I mean, I wouldn't say that's a bit more of a plan than an assumption, I would hope. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's a plan. It's a plan. Um and, and, you know, I, I know I've been talking a lot here, but I, that, that is a really important point. And, uh, you know, it's like when you're confronting your own fears, when you're in perfectly fine health and you're sitting quietly in meditation, which, by the way, as a reminder, is like one of the most blessed, like <laughs> you should have so much gratitude to even have five minutes of that, right? Um, when you're sitting there doing that and you're confronting some really ugly emotions inside yourself, it can be terrifying, but you find that you can actually overcome that and breathe through it. And that is like training. It's training for death in my opinion. No, absolutely. And it's explicitly, you know, in, in sort of, especially more kind of advanced um, contemplative systems, it's, it's really explicitly described as, you know, at a certain level of what we are, what we are training for, what we're preparing for is to die because when we die, certain things happen in our, in the con continuum of our awareness. And um, if we, um, are aware of awareness as these things are happening, then that can be like a like a slingshot, like uh, you know, like uh, I don't know, in two thousand one, when they used the gravitational field of Jupiter to like slingshot um, and and gain acceleration and and travel even farther and faster, kind of like that. Um, but 
Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I, if I had more. Please, it's, do you want to jump in? Yeah. Yeah, it was actually, you know, it was an interesting point you were making about indust- death in an industrial society, how we're, we're absolutely terrified of death, and then created this entire healthcare system where we spend enormous sums of money and effort yeah. so that we can have like two weeks of extra life in it's pretty like, it's something awful conditions. Like, like 80 or 90 percent, I don't know have the exact figures off off the top of my head, but it, it, it's on the order of 80 percent of healthcare costs are not even in, incurred by just the 20 percent of people, but by 20 percent of people in the last like thir- three months of life. It, it's, it's, it's kind really, of, yeah. It, it's really just such a, a difference from how things used to be, where it, the normative way would be to die at home surrounded by one's family, at least at those stage, if you died at that point in your life. It would be at home surrounded by your family, and once, you know, you kind of... anymore, you know? I mean, I, no, I, just, I don't mean to... But yeah, no, exactly. It's a, it's a big shift, and, and a very much one for the worse. And the thing is, when we're, I mean, it's, it's, you know, mentioning that society of, uh, the modern society is terrified of death is, I mean, that's, that's pretty clear to most people who observe. But I think it's really that modern society is actually really uncomfortable with the idea of impermanence in general, much more so than death. I mean, look at how the number of people are complaining about wanting things like, as we're here in this coronavirus lockdown, wanting things to go back to the way they were before the virus lockdown. Just like they want to go back to the same society yeah. we had before now. It, it I, I haven't, I haven't, you, you made me think something that I, it's sort of like a half-formed thought, and I don't, you know, I'm curious if you agree or disagree, because you often push back in, in helpful ways, but I, I think there's something about, like, okay, on the one hand, you could say, you know, something that we could call liberal democracy has been a, around for a while, but its current form has really been locked in place since 1945 and everything about our society at this moment is i mean this is just our society but really the global order is basically like things were kind of set up by the victors of world war ii in a certain way in 1945 and everything about the system is set up to preserve the status quo as of 1945. I really see that as a major reason why, for example, they freaked out so hard when uh, Putin annexed Crimea, which is historically Russian, and it was like a 90% plus demographically, like ethnically Russian area, um, that it was just sort of kind of, you know, it it was... but as of 1945, it was not. It was part of the USSR, and I believe I don't know if it was then or shortly before or after, but it was kind of formally part of the Ukrainian SSR. Yeah, um, it's, I think like it was like Khrushchev signed a decree. I want to say in like 51. It, it to doesn't sign it matter. Something but, like that. But, really... but it, okay, let's say close enough to 1945 where it was considered like part of the 1945 status quo that like this territorial border was this way. And so for Putin or anyone to change any kind of territorial border, um, you know, freaks them out. And the yes. idea that any kind of territorial border that was, you know, that, 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 okay, maybe, you know, minor, and obviously there's one big exception to this where, you know, somebody's, one country's territory gets to continue to expand, but the, the but everyone else on the planet, uh, everyone else on the planet, you know, their borders have to be locked in place as they were. Yeah, and especially post-1991 borders, because that yes. was sort of like the reification. Yes, definitely. Oh, the, for, definitely. The 45 thing was like the, was like 1.0 and the, and the 90, 1991 version of the world is like yeah. the so, so all, form, all it was just the, the broader point I wanted to make with that was just, I, I, I really like, I think if you, if you can, uh, what was it? The, the last psychiatrist had a, 
a great definition. I think it was of mental, I forget, but of mental illness, or I don't remember, but he said it was basically a, 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 a frantic def, uh, activity as a defense against change, right? And I think if you look at what's happening now, it's possible to understand it as just increasingly frantic effort as a defense against change to a system that is increasingly fragile and therefore the amount of energy and resources, money, time, effort, etc., that have to be put in to maintaining that status quo is is you know it, it's scaling geometrically, you know, logarithmically. And and this you know virus pandemic, I don't think it's going to bring the system down necessarily. I think it. I mean, it can. no, it's I don't think it actually will, surprising but to me how anti fragile it's been proving itself, at least so far. <laughs> in certain um, ways, in certain yes. ways. I, also, we have yet to see you know the full impact. But 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 the point is that you know the. I think there's a lesson for us all, really. If you look at the the sort of increasing contortions that this whole you know system is having to go through in order to maintain you know something like a status quo something like a continuity with what people have known um it really shows how that doesn't really work that that you know part of um really i think the buddhist message here the the thing that we should take home the very kind of practical um down-to-earth point here is we, we have to be accepting of change and impermanence and death and the end, the dissolution. You know, what is it? The, I forget the, the, all of the things, but, you know, what meets, who, people who meet will, will separate. Things that are built will fall apart. Beings that are born will die. And there's a fourth one that I can't remember, but this is like I one of the kind of core. Please, do you, do you I think Nana Moli Bhikkhu once said it pretty well. Whatever is today was, will be was. <laughs> Will be was yeah exactly so and and it does us no good to try to deny that or to try to you know put energy at, at a certain point it's not to say that again you don't want to be a nihilist about it you don't want to say like well it doesn't matter because it does matter it actually really does matter but um, it's the opposite of well, nihilism impermanence yeah. isn't always a bad thing either I mean sure yes it is does mean the th things that we're attached to in this life are impermanent those you know are those near and dear to us the things we have our own lives and our own sense of being but it also means that things that we really are not are rather averse to are also equally impermanent so the post-1945 liberal democratic globo homo order is just as impermanent and eventually will be replaced by something else whether that it's, is a, go on whether it's this year or you know 50 years from now it doesn't matter eventually it will fall that is a really good point. That is a very heartening, heartening thing to remember to remember sometimes because it, you know, it, it's very easy to be like, man, this is just, you know, the and, behemoth will never stop. Yeah. But there and to is the YOLO no people, thing. like that's the thing is like, well, or not whatever. To the nihilist, you would say, okay, and it, yes, and it could be replaced by something better or something worse. And so our task is to make sure that it's replaced by something better, right? Yes. Yeah. And Otherwise, I, what I, mean, I wanted to say, go ahead. Yes, because global caliphate or Han techno capital <laughs> yeah. uh, dystopian shit show doesn't really sound like a much better alternative either. No, and what I want to say about the uh, your very excellent point about you know sort of the post forty five order that we're living under the the, the democratic wh whatever you want to call it the capitalist democratic order that we live under the neoliberal order um, is that 
there's there's another thing that's going on with it, which is is this denial of death. Um, it's not just a a wish for things to stay permanently the way they are, but it's also this denial of death. You know, there's you know a serious Christian thinks about death a lot because after death um, they're going to be judged by God. Uh, you know, and <laughs> this this life is a is a short part of their permanent existence um, under the kingdom of God, and you know they you're going to end up in hell or you're going to end up in heaven. You're, you're, and so your acts here have immense importance in this life um, for that because you're going to die. Um, you know, they talk about everlasting life, but they're not talking about like, you know, everlasting, you're 80 and then you're 90 and then you're 100 and then you're 110. And then, no, 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 you die and then you get everlasting life for a serious Christian. And Buddhists, as we've been saying on this, on this show, um, for a different metaphysical reason but for a sort of functionally similar reason is that you yes you are going to die and so what you do with your time right now is of utmost importance because of that fact contrast that with like atheists or other certain religious traditions that don't really have a belief in the afterlife or it's extremely minimalized it's very it's certainly not a main part of their of their religion um that that those people will often paint themselves let's take you know atheists or whatever as as oh we're the serious hard-nosed ones and those silly christians and buddhists or whatever they you know they they can't face reality so they have to make up their airy fairy belief in an afterlife because they're they're afraid and and they you know those those stupid religious people are afraid and that's why they believe in an afterlife because they can't face death which is you know obviously stupid and facile and in fact the exact opposite of the truth that a serious religious person of these these kinds of faiths that I'm talking about confronts the fact that death is there. That gives life more meaning and stuff. And the opposite of that is the silliness of nihilism. That's why I was at nihilism to point them, paint themselves as somehow like hardcore and like we're facing yeah. reality. No, there's like a silly, meme you could make. I was thinking pe- like uh, you know, you, you, the self perception of these people is like the Chad Nietzschean, you know, staring out on the abyss, and the reality is like a Reddit tier yeah. dude, you know, jerking off on yeah. his Nintendo Switch. <laughs> like, yeah, seriously, and they get you, you know, actually can't, are. Can't yeah. look at a dead body. Can't you know? Can't face the fact that they're gonna die. You know, like can't can't stop dressing in like like a teenager when they're in their fifties. I mean, th- these are the people. Those people are silly. Maybe this is a little bit of a cold take, but it does seem like that this phenomenon of fear of death has become more common the more these kind of nihilistic pseudo-religions or atheism have become the kind of normative feature of spiritual life among Westerners. No, man, like just it's a true uh, take. What do you, what do you mean? Could you, true. Well, just like yeah, the, more West, the more secularized Westerners become, the more Christianity has declined, the more people have become afraid of death, the more people are afraid of confronting it, and the more Absolutely. people want to push it aside. Ab- and just like, Absolutely. Yes, 100%. That's right. Um, yeah. And, and, and that's the thing is, I mean, there's no easy solution to this short of some kind of religious revival, which I think in sort of quiet ways or... Um, you know, we're, I think in a certain way, we're kind of a part of that. And, and, you know, I have my vision. I think that I I, I think, um, the United States in particular is is fertile ground for the flourishing of Dharma. And certainly my aspiration to contribute to that, to hope, you know, to try to help that happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just one of these things where, uh, Please. It's even like if you think about like the Nietzschean alternative, like the one true disciple of Nietzsche I can ever think of is Ernst Jünger. And I mean, 
a few years before he died, at like a hundred and something, he converted to Catholicism. So, kind of right. makes you think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I don't know, I, I don't know. If this is to, to circle back, or, or you know, again, we're kind of, I guess, a little bit scattered, which is fine. I mean, it's kind of scattered times, and and it, and I don't mind being a little more loose and free flowing. I, I did want to say though that um, I think, you know. Nobody really knows what's going on with this pandemic. Nobody really knows what the what the final body count is going to be. I certainly hope that that everyone listening to this is is stays safe. But if if somehow you don't, if somehow you do get this disease and 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 you know it doesn't go well, pl- you know, please try to remember that this life you know it this life is just one one small part of a much bigger story right that there's no need to fear death there's 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 really there really isn't um it's not it's not the end uh, it's just the end of this one part of this story so it, it can be difficult to you know i mean i don't want to I don't want to step out of my bounds and say, oh, you should believe in this or that or have faith in, you know, Jesus or Guru Rinpoche or, or whoever. It's it's not just no, I guess, is the important thing. And this is for all of us this is for, you know, I certainly hope that I don't contract this disease and that people that I know and care about don't contract this disease. But, you know, there are, there are beings. I I work every day on my aspiration. I'm very bad at it, but I try to remember my aspiration every day to you know alleviate the suffering of all sentient beings that includes everyone obviously listening to this and in some ways that aspiration just because of the way these things work you know anyone listening to this you are connected to me you're connected to aura and to ym um just you know karmically just by virtue of the fact that you're hearing this which means that there are you know okay us in our very limited ways but we do care about you we do remember you we do think about you we do wish you well we do wish you recovery and 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 that if 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 you happen to not recover that you wind up in a place that is that is good for you that is that is um helpful along your path to the the ultimate result of perfect buddhahood but but not just us you know we are very i am very um limited in my ability and my capacity to have that kind of a compassionate wish um there are beings actually beings without measure um our historical buddha but all the buddhas who have come before and all the buddhas who will come after and and jesus and all the great saints who are in your corner who want to help and are able to help and in fact are helping and and so much of that help comes to um it's 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 not even that it's 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 unconditional but we have to kind of our job is to like allow ourselves to be helped i don't know how much sense i'm making but but the point is to get out of our own way and to, to to try to recognize you know there are beings immensely powerful beings with pure good intentions that want to help us that have our best interests in mind and and it's always possible to ask for their help always I 100% agree, man. Um, the, it's there if you ask for it. Um, 
and it's it's very hard to see that sometimes. Um, but I, I think you put it extremely well, and, and you said towards the end there, you know, the hard part sometimes is getting out of our own way, right? Um, and that that's that's part of the karmic struggle um, that I think everybody has to go through, and I think certain people have to go through it a little harder than others, or maybe at certain t- times in their life. Um, you know, the, the concept of the dark night of the soul, there, there are times when people can feel very disconnected from those powers that are, are on their side that are trying to help them. But um, through the process of, of searching for that, I, I, I really do believe, um, well, I know <laughs> that, it, that it can be found and that it will be found if, if you head that way. And yeah. Um, I didn't mean, I didn't start out trying to say that. I don't, I don't know where that came from exactly. Just kind of develop that way as I was talking. I, I, yeah, uh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you were... a different point. It doesn't matter. Yeah, well, <laughs> what was your, what was your I don't remember. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, I remember nodding my head along with what you were saying at the beginning, too, which is, yeah. oh, yeah, that you were saying, you know, if, if um, you know, if, if people, you don't want anyone to get sick in any, or anything, but... Um, I was know, just saying, I think, I think yeah, that. I guess I was just saying, like, you know, and, and this is maybe just kind of normie tier political take or whatever. I, it doesn't really matter. I, I I'm, I'm concerned about the tone that I see this current situation being discussed in, which is like, you know, we have to do absolutely everything we can to prevent any kind of death at all. If someone dies, it's the worst possible thing. The more people that die, <laughs> the worse it is, etc. I think everybody knows this kind of attitude that I'm talking about. I, I, I want to be very clear. I don't want people to die unnecessarily. I certainly don't want people to suffer unnecessarily. This disease seems you know, maybe pretty most shitty. of the time. Yeah, it's pretty shit. Yeah. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a significant percentage of people who contract it. What percentage that is, don't know. Doesn't seem, it's not clear to me at all. Let's say on the order of 10 to 25% of people, something like that, you know, it's really shitty. And of those 10 to 25%, somewhere, you know, in the neighborhood of, of 5 to 10%-ish, die that's terrible this is a this is not good i'm not saying that it's good i'm not saying that it's not serious i am saying that i think we need to be on guard against the temptation to see to 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 see death as just the worst thing that could happen and to see and to be afraid of death and to be afraid just to be afraid generally there's you know there's a really yeah. interesting kind of point about dharma which is um you know what <laughs> what the kind of um the buddha doesn't give you like when you go to the buddha for refuge right like the foundational thing about buddhism is you go you know what makes you a buddhist in the kind of technical sense is you you go for refuge to the buddha the dharma and the sangha and the, the metaphor there comes from a kind of you know model of kingship um it's an indian model but it, it's definitely you see this in other aryan civilizations as well where like what you know you go to the king and you like ask the king you're like, please, I beg you, you know, I'm, I have these bad, I'm, these bad men who are after me. Can you please protect me? And for example, and the king says, yeah, sure, I'll, I can protect you. You know, you go to the to a king for a refuge from whatever, fl- famine, flood, disease, bandits, war, whatever. Okay, so the foundational metaphor in Buddhism is we go to the Buddha for refuge. We go to the Dharma for refuge. We go to the Sangha for refuge. This is what makes us Buddhist. But we, we, you know, okay, on the one hand, it's true, you know, the part of the Buddha's, like, job, so to speak, part of what makes a Buddha a Buddha is he's able to help us in very 
like concrete material ways and there are you know extraordinary stories of you know miracles and so on where you know things that are like you know we're in very very bad material circumstances and we pray to a buddha or a bodhisattva or great saints and so on for help and and things get better and our material circumstances improve um that's important it's not i'm not trying to downplay that but that's also kind of like in the Buddhist tradition, at least, and I think it's definitely true also in the Christian tradition. Uh, I just know less about it. Uh, that's kind of a grug. <laughs> like, that's not really what we should be aiming for. Um, like, it, it's, it's not wrong, but it's not like the point of going for refuge is not that the Buddha is going to protect us from anything bad ever happening to us um, because he can't and he won't. And that's actually not good for us. And, and God is not going to do that either and so on. The point is to give us refuge from what? from hope and fear like this is the real foundational teaching this is the real kind of like the juice of the tradition is you know what is it that we actually need refuge from what is it that's like actually at the heart of this and it can be maybe difficult for people to swallow i'm sure there's people listening to this and be like what the fuck are you talking about that's fine you know we can you know we can argue about it or, or you can maybe think about it or whatever but i'm just telling you that from the tradition's standpoint um the fundamental enemies, the real things that make our situation like bad more than anything else are the hope that things are going to get better and the fear that's gonna, that things are going to get worse. And if you're able to conquer though that hope and fear, and that's like extremely, I have not done this. I just want to be really upfront about that. I hope for good things and I fear bad things, okay? I'm not saying that I have like accomplished anything. I'm just saying like, intellectually if nothing else it's possible to come to some kind of an understanding maybe that because think about it like however bad your situation is however much pain you know physical pain or mental pain or whatever you happen to be experienced like how much suffering really can there be in that moment if you don't fear things getting worse and you don't hope for things to get better right like those, that is at the heart of our like mental experience of our, of our, of like what, it, what it, well, why do we really suffer is because of hope and fear. And so when I see people, when I interact with people who are, you know, uh, at least from my perspective, seem to have a kind of, um, I wouldn't say nihilistic, just, just, just a limited perspective on, you know, oh, this thing, this disease, this pandemic, the situation that we're in right now, it's so terrible. It's, it's, you know, it, we have to do absolutely everything in our power to just make sure that, you know, as few people die as possible. I just think that's a limited perspective. I, I think that, that, you know, we have to keep in mind, we have to understand that there's more to living well than avoiding death. And, and there's more to living nobly and there's more to being a noble being. There's more to being a kind of, um, you know, having a heroic mindset than, than simply, you know, that's not to say that we should just acquiesce, but it's important to have this broad outlook that that's, that's all. That's my point. Yeah. Fair point, man. Uh, you know, the way, way I often look at things, the sort of the core of the teaching, um, I brought it up many times before. I think the um, the Buddhist uh, teaching, uh, I believe it's to Rahula, where he says, "Look at um, look at an action before you do it, and if you see that there's going to be something bad come of it, then don't do it. Um, if it seems like it'll be okay, then proceed. Do the action. While you're doing the action, look and see if it's giving bad results. If so, cease the action. If it's if it's giving good results, you may continue. 
And then after the action is over, look back and see if it gave any bad results. And if so, resolve not to do it again. And if it was okay, then keep doing it. That's the long-winded way of just saying, observe your own actions, which, and as we know, as Buddhists, intentions uh, are the heart of, of what an action consists of, internal intentions. Observe your own intentions and um, get make them better over time. And you can only do that in the moment, right? You can only do that as, as things are going going on or, or right before and right after. And so it's a continual updating of, of, yeah, of what's right and wrong. I, that's a, that's a bad way to put it, but it, it's a continual updating of, of your own behavior. And it's, it's an in the moment thing. And I, the reason I'm bringing it up because what you said about hope and fear um, relates to that because, you know, it sounds weird if you say, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you should get away from fear. You should get away from hope for obvious reasons, because it's natural to fear bad things. And it's, natural to hope for good things and obviously on a mundane level you know if you're hoping to save a thousand dollars this month then you better not buy you know that extraneous thing that you don't need or you won't save for it so in a mundane sense of course you do those things but it's when you're living in your orientation towards the future that's where suffering comes from and it, it comes on the fear side and it's kind of easier to see but it also comes on the hope side and really where you have to live to be free of that kind of suffering is is in the moment and i i at the risk of repeating myself you know earlier i was saying that the coronavirus you know crisis is a, is an opportunity um to sort of reevaluate what we're thinking about death but I, you know i was tweeting about this the other day it's an, also an opportunity to sort of update your your view of the world and i was just thinking of this because i was i was talking to a loved one and she's she really hates trump and I, i'm not a big trump defender or anything but i i also just don't waste time hating Trump either. Um, cause you know, I'm big brain. Right. But, um, <laughs> but the, the thing My is, you know, we're talking about, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, we were talking about coronavirus and, you know, saying, Oh, make sure you have this and that precaution and, you know, make sure you do this. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. And then she's like, I just can't believe that Trump is doing this, blah, blah, blah. And I had to be like, you know, I got news for you, man. It's really bad in China. It's really bad in Italy. And it's in Iran. It's bad. And it's getting bad in England. And, you know, like, we don't know how many people have it in Africa because they just don't have any tests. And like, I'm not telling you should like Trump or approve of what he's doing. But he, it's, he, you know, he didn't cause the coronavirus. And it would be really bad right now, no matter what politician was in charge like this. And that's fine. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't make, you know, criticisms of your overlords and stuff. You absolutely should. But at the same time, catch yourself if no, because it, it's sort of an example of the situation. Literally, no matter what the world throws at this person, her reaction is to say, oh, my God, Trump, right? Like a fucking meteor could come and she'd say, oh, my God, Trump, right? And that's mental illness, right? That's getting completely locked into one idea and no new amount of information from the world. There's literally no information that could come in. That would change your mind. And the way this, I, I don't think that anybody on this listening to this show probably has that particular, you know, disease or hang up. But I was just pointing out to myself mainly um, that if you're, if this coronavirus stuff is happening and literally nothing about what you think about the way the world operates is changed at all, then that probably means that there's something in your mind that is like become totally reified and you're stuck with it. And, and, and you're not actually living in the world and updating your your model of the world based on on new information. I, and I just you know that's a common thing that happens to people all the time. But a huge crisis like this is a good opportunity to say, okay, well I you know I predicted X, Y, and Z of this, but this other part I didn't see coming. 
Um, because if you say, no, no, I, I knew that, I knew it, I knew it, then you, I mean, how are you any different from the person who's like, this is all because of the liberal media or the person who says it's because of Donald Trump or, or whatever, right? Yeah, the name of the game off topic is, from what could, you were talking no, no, about. No, 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 but that's but, a good, but, but it's a good <laughs> thing to keep in mind. I mean, you know, the, 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 thank you for that. And the point as I see it is always, you know, what, one way of thinking about, really what is meditation at a certain level is continuous contact with reality and you know reality is momentary reality is changing minute by minute not just minute by minute you know instant by instant plank length plank time by plank time so however like if if things seem the same to you from moment to moment you're wrong and you know that's a form of error that's a way in which our your mind is playing a certain kind of trick on you um so yeah i mean that's it's something important to keep in mind for sure yeah i mean it anyway. doesn't necessarily have to do with our topic of death, no but, but it's I, well but know. it does though because that's what i guess what i'm saying is 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 everything is momentary everything is impermanent like everything changes you know at a subatomic level or at a macro scale at a subatomic level it's very easy you know we have now mathematical formalism that describes in, in beautiful detail how um you know reality is momentary and everything's changing instantly you can't even really point to where things are at a given moment it, it's quite um incredible when you start digging into those details but uh you know you can even see it you, know, you can see it on a, on a more kind of macro scale um you know look at a look at a flame sometime you know look at look at a, look at a candle and see how the the flame can change from 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 instant to instant um, you know, and, and again, any everything that's in, that's everything that's conditioned. Everything there are certain things that are unconditioned. The two great examples are space is unconditioned and nirvana is unconditioned. There's your Buddhist trivia for the day. But, uh, but apart from from space and nirvana, all phenomena are conditioned. Um, so, and and in particular, all all um, compound phenomena, all, all phenomena that are you know the result of the joining of, of two or more phenomena are um you know impermanent those those things that are created by the conjunction the conjunction will come apart and therefore the phenomenon will cease and um so yeah if you if you if you you know think if you're just expecting things to kind of continue if your if your mental mode of engaging with the world is is and it's not i mean this is sort of how we all are you know, and then there's a new normal, and then we get used to that, and then that gets broken up. Okay, fine, but the point is to break the cycle, right? Point yeah, is heuristics are yes. normal. You can you can use them to evaluate the world. They're useful. Otherwise, you're a stupid person, right? <laughs> but you have to be aware that you're using a heuristic to to sort of get through the world and not get attached to your own heuristic as having some sort of like inherent truth that it's going to always be true. Because guess what? It's not. All concepts are erroneous. All concepts are erroneous, and that's not to say that they can't be useful. They can be extremely useful, but all concepts are erroneous. Period. Um, yeah. Was there was there anything else? Did we have any other um, points we wanted to hit? I don't know. I looked at the chat. We didn't have so many questions, which is which is fine. Um, I don't know. Was there anything else you guys wanted to say? I would say that there's one kind of anecdote I'd, re I'd relate back to what I heard from my llama. It's a, uh, basically if you consider our life, it's almost like being dropped off on an island. And on this island is the treasure, which is the Dharma. And it's the one thing we can take back 
back with us when it finally comes to when we finally are picked up off of it. So in the time we have here, how are you going to use it? Are you going to go ahead and try to gather up as much of it as you can, or what are you going to do? And that's pretty much like what I think is the short takeaway from the whole idea of impermanence. Yeah, that's good, man. I really like that. And you could even, I don't know if your llama would agree with this, but you could even stretch that and say, yeah, sure, while you're on the island, you need to also gather some coconuts and make a little shelter and stuff. But like, if you get so wrapped up in those things, that you completely forget about your gold treasure. Then the boat comes and you're like trying to bring coconuts with you or something. You, you forgot yeah. the gold. And you, yeah, you leave empty handed then. Don't yeah. do that. Right. Okay, well, I think that's a really beautiful place to end it. Um, as always, we're very happy to receive any kind of questions or comments. I think especially on this, you know, it's, it's a very um, deep topic, an important topic, and one that can make people uncomfortable. But I, I just, I, you know, especially now in the midst of what seems to be a growing um, crisis and, and, you know, very real possibility of some kind of, you know, just being surrounded by death in a way that we are not normally. Um, if nothing else, it's an opportunity to reflect. And I think that's important. So with that, uh, thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next time.